0: Well, good morning, and Merry Christmas. It's a joy to be with you this morning, and thank you, Dr. Carl, for standing in this morning. We know Dr. Carl is a, just a gifted doctor, probably delivered half of Orville. but he's not quite the mathematician he thinks he is. For Carl, I'm in my seventh year here. <laughs> I'll take that as a good sign that we're having such a good time we've lost track of time. But by God's grace, uh, the last six and a half years have been a time of growth and blessing and inspiration and joy and challenge and glory to God. And so I'm thankful to be here this morning. One of the dangers of the Christmas story is that its familiarity can deaden our hearts to the beauty and reality of its message. We get so used to hearing about angels and shepherds and camels and gifts that we forget the transforming nature of the message itself. We lose sight of the wonder and the glory and the impact of the story that came into the world that was languishing in darkness because of its sin and rebellion against God. We're tempted... And the hustle and bustle and all the programs and the planning and the feasting to forget that ultimately it's good news of great joy that will be for all the people. But if our hearts are tuned to right, one of the wonders of Christmas is that it reminds us that God often works out his eternal plans through the lives of ordinary people. You know, he doesn't have to do it that way, but he chooses to do it that way. And I find it amazing that God would condescend to choose and to use people like us to accomplish his plans. How kind. And so this morning we want to take a closer look at the Christmas story, and we're going to do so by looking at some of the people that God used to make the story known to us. Today we're going to look closely at some of the women through whom God worked, women who give fullness and color to the story, who make it more real, more understandable to us. And so don't allow the familiarity of the story to deaden your spirit, to cause your mind to wander off, but rather let your heart wonder at what was going on 2,000 years ago in the Roman province of Palestine. Rather, put yourself in the place of each person and ask yourself, how would I have responded if I was in her place? How would the story have been written if it had happened me, and then open your hearts to allow God to speak to you and cause you to rejoice in a deeper way because of this good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so as we prepare to take a fresh look at some of the people that God used in the story, let's turn to him first and ask his blessing as we pray. Father, as we turn to you this morning, we're so thankful that Christ is born for us. We're so thankful that we can join in singing with the angels and singing with the shepherds and singing and rejoicing with the magi, all who came to worship Christ. And Father, we have come this morning because we want to do the same. And as you've given us this story and as it is true, rooted in history, we ask you to make it to come alive and new and afresh in our hearts this morning. And so teach us as we spend time in your word, as we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to look at several different passages this morning, and we're going to read through them, and we're going to let the scriptures tell us the story. So I'm not going to ask you to stand as we read the scriptures this morning, as is our habit. But what I'd like you to do is stand in your heart as I read these passages with reverential awe of what God is saying to us, and listen to it as if it's happening for the very first time. The first one we're going to look at is the story of Elizabeth, the Lord has removed my shame. We first see Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, which says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Elizabeth was the wife of a priest. We've seen the text. She was the daughter of Aaron from the tribe from which the priests were to come. And Elizabeth being from the same tribe as the tribe of Aaron adds color to the story. Now, it was not required by law that the wife of a priest would come from that tribe. The law simply said that a priest had to marry a virgin from Israel. But it was seen as an ideal match to have a boy and a girl from the line of Aaron get married, especially as they were in the priesthood. It was seen as a special sign or a special blessing. Elizabeth gets her name from the same Hebrew root as Elisheva, who was actually the name of Aaron's wife. The, the Greek rendering of this word would be, my God is an oath, or my God Is fortune, And it would have been considered an honor for a girl born into the line of Aaron to have the same name as the wife of the priest, Aaron. But the name, whether it's my God is an oath or my God is fortune, leads to the same thing. It points to the covenant-keeping God who blesses his people. You can only imagine that Elizabeth, being the wife of a priest, would have had many requirements and expectations on her. She was to be a virtuous woman, have a good reputation, be seen as well by all around her, support her husband and her work in the priesthood, keep a good reputation at home and outside the home. And it seems that she did that well because as we read in the text, both her and her husband Zechariah were both described as being righteous and blameless. Now, in this context, righteous means to have an outward behavior and actions that conform to the character of God, to the righteousness of God. And it's God here that is the one that says that they are righteous and blameless. For the text tells us they are walking blamelessly in all of the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Imagine having that as a testimony. That the Lord speaks of you and puts it in his holy word for all to see for centuries afterwards that you are righteous and blameless. I wonder if we were to take a testimony of all that we have done in our own lives and then it's recorded of our lives, would that be the description that would be used of us that we were people who were righteous and blameless in all the laws and statutes of God? A challenge for us this morning, and that's the reason why Christ came, he who was perfectly righteous, came for we who were not at all righteous, that he might die in our place. And then in that great exchange, our sins would be placed on him on the cross and his righteousness given to us by faith. They were righteous. They were walking in the ways of God, but there was a problem. And in the ancient world, it would be seen as a big and serious problem. Elizabeth was barren and unable to have children. At the time of this writing in Luke chapter 1, both she and her husband were beyond childbearing years. And this would have been a source of social disgrace great personal pain from both her family and from the surrounding community because secretly they would be uttering what's wrong with her. We see the pain of women in the Old Testament such as Sarah or Rachel or Hannah who all longed to have children and who suffered because they were unable to do so. Suffering often at the hands of those closest to them. The childless woman was often shunned even by her own family. So one can only imagine the pain and personal suffering that Elizabeth lived as the years passed by and as her situation remained unchanged. Here she was, the wife of a priest, and without children. But as the story goes on, Luke, led by the Spirit of God, wants us to know that God is in control of the story. And so one day her husband goes to the temple to perform his priestly duties. And as far as she was concerned, Elizabeth had no reason to think that things would change for her. But indeed, they would change, and change quickly. I'm going to read briefly after Zechariah went to the temple, what happened. And when Zechariah's time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people her husband had gone away for his priestly service he'd been gone for a period of time and he was looking forward to his return but at first glance Elizabeth would know that something was wrong something had happened something had changed with her husband he came home probably had a bewildered look on his face he was frightened and then she would realize he couldn't speak he couldn't talk to her He'd been rendered mute, and we know from this story that as Zechariah was in the, the place performing the, the acts of priesthood, offering the sacrifice, offering prayers on behalf of the people of Israel, that an angel had appeared to him and said, I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to give you and your wife a son in your old age. But Zechariah questioned the angel. And because of his doubt, because he would not proclaim what God had told him to do, because he expressed doubt, God said, I'm not going to let you speak at all, and renders him mute. Now, we're not told how he and Elizabeth were able to communicate. Maybe they had chalkboards, maybe they made signs, maybe they had hand puppets, we don't know. We can only imagine that their interaction happened somehow because some communication takes place. But at the deepest level, it's difficult to share their thoughts. Desires, emotions. Imagine having a spouse who is unable to communicate with you. But then imagine her joy when she's going to have a son. She understands that God has given her a great promise. The joy that she had read about of those women who had suffered for so long in their barrenness and the joy that they had when they were given a son would now be her joy. She could enter into the joy of Sarah would give birth to Isaac, into the joy of Rachel who gave birth to Joseph, into the joy of Hannah who would give birth to Samuel. The years of waiting and waiting had finally borne fruit in the best sense of the word. They would now be parents. But in addition to all of that, the shame and reproach that she had been feeling was now gone. She recognized that the Lord has lifted this from her. And the perfect tense that is used in the original language means that God has fully completely lifted her burden and shame. There's joy, there's relief mixed together. Her reproach is gone. She rejoices in the Lord. And when we come to Christ, we confess our sins and the shame and the reproach that we feel because of them, he takes it away because he bore our shame, he bore our reproach, he bore our burdens on the cross. But here we find Elizabeth rejoicing, and yet the situation is still a bit strange. She's pregnant, something she had longed for for many years, but her husband's unable to talk with her about all that's going to happen. Parents that are expecting children usually talk about the dreams and hopes and joys they have for their children. Naturally, women want to hear the thoughts and ideas of their husbands. They want active communication, not silence. And yet silence was forced upon them. And yet, even still, we see Elizabeth rejoicing. She says, the Lord has taken away my reproach. Can you imagine the relief that she feels? And this is a great blessing. It's a foreshadowing not only of the message of Christmas, but it's related to the Christmas of Easter, where, as I said, Jesus bears the shame and reproach of his people, takes them away. And now let's continue as we move on to Luke, and we go down to verse 39. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We'll get to Mary in a moment, but Mary goes and stays with Elizabeth during the final months, perhaps to help her with the delivery. And again, we see that Elizabeth is rejoicing. She rejoices herself when she sees Mary. And then we're told that the baby in her womb rejoices as well upon hearing the voice of Mary. She blesses Mary and recognizes that Mary is the mother of her Lord. Through it all, she recognized her role in God's plan and that God was in control of the situation. She even says, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She says, not the Lord, but my Lord. She has insight into the nature of the child that Mary is bearing, that it would be the Son of God come in the flesh. And so the emphasis here is on the nature of Mary's baby who is divine and human, not on the nature of Mary herself. Elizabeth knows that the Messiah is now visiting her as he's in the womb of her cousin, Mary. And so we gain insight, that do we not, into the character of Elizabeth? She's called a virtuous woman, a righteous woman, a blameless woman who accepts what God has planned for her both in the years before her pregnancy and during the pregnancy itself. And we can assume that she raised her child in the the fears and admonition of the Lord, for her son would grow up to be cousins with the son of Mary. And yet, she accepts the fact that the son of another woman will be greater than her own son. She knows that the son that she has been given will be the forerunner to the Lord, will be the one that proclaimed the way of the Lord. And how many women will be ready to accept that their son will play second fiddle to the son of another woman? And yet we see see Elizabeth rejoicing. She impresses me because every time we hear her speak, she's praising, she's rejoicing, She has the joy of the Lord in her heart and she raised her son well to recognize that they were to defer to the plan of God for it would be 30 years later that her own son, speaking of the other son, Jesus, John would say, he must increase and I must decrease. John has learned from his mother, Elizabeth, that we defer and accept the plan of God for our lives. And I wonder then, that strikes right at the heart of who we are, proud and, and stubborn as we are, that Elizabeth shows she's willing to give God glory even when she's not the center point. And I wonder, are we more concerned that God gets the glory than that we get the credit? Elizabeth didn't seek to draw attention to herself. She just gave thanks that God was with her, that God, who was her oath, kept his oath, gave her a son, a son that would proclaim there is yet another son who is far greater. And may we learn from Elizabeth this Christmas what it means to serve the Lord in joyful humility. Well, the second example we want to look at this morning is the example of Mary herself. Mary who said, I am the Lord's servant. And we're going to read the story that we know well. You may hear it even several times over the next couple of days. And that's okay. It's the truth of God. And in the sixth day of the month, Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It's a well-known story. Mary has a dramatic encounter with Angel Gabriel. By this time, Mary is engaged and looking forward to marriage. Like all engaged women, she has many hopes and dreams in her heart and looking forward to what life could be with her and her husband. Dreams of the type of home they might live in, of what kind of career path they would be on, what kind of family they would have. Where would life take her? And all of those dreams, as it were, seem to be shattered in a moment when an angel appears And things will change. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She's undoubtedly troubled by this saying. She knows who she is. She'll say later in Luke chapter 1 that I rejoice in God my Savior. She knows her own status as a sinner. So how can the angel condescend to speak to one such as her? But the angel does. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. When we encounter an angel who has come from the presence of God and still has the, the reflection of the glory of God, our natural response is going to be fear. And so it's, it's appropriate, and as the angel says, do not be afraid. This, this woman has been placed in a situation she never thought that she would face, never thought that she would be in, and she's overwhelmed almost beyond description. But before she has anything to say, before she can even respond, the, the angel goes on and summarizes and says, Mary, you're going to bear a son, and, and not just any son. You bring forth the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, and this Son will be the fulfillment of the promise God gave to David oh so long ago to have a son who will sit on the throne forever. And you're going to carry and give birth to the Son who will fulfill the prophecies of old. Wouldn't you liked to have been there? to behold the expression on Mary's face as she's trying to process all that she's just been told. David's son, who's gonna rule forever? The son of the Most High, and I'm to be his mother? Certainly the whole idea would be overwhelming to a young woman, be overwhelming to anyone this young woman that God had chosen to appear to, how can this be, she asks. It's the right question to ask. You know, it's usually about this time of the year where critics of the Christian gospel come out with all kinds of snarky remarks and try to explain away the virgin birth of Christ by saying, well, you know, the people in Bible times, they were just ignorant. They really didn't understand about how babies came about. and Or they just borrowed from ancient myths and customs. And really, when they do that, all it shows is more their ignorance than the fact that the Bible speaks true on these matters. Just think about it. The human race continued from millennia to millennia. Somebody knew something about something. (laughs) So Mary's well aware of what needs to happen in the process of human reproduction. And so she asks, How would this be? Literally asking, I do not know a man. The angel doesn't rebuke her. He knows that she's asking out of faith and not out of disobedience, but God just explains that, the angel explains that God will overshadow her in a special way, and as a result, you will find yourself pregnant, and you will be bearing the the Son of God. To show her that it's not impossible, he reminds her that Elizabeth, who is beyond childbearing age, is now in her sixth month. Nothing is impossible with God. Think about this. So we just talk about the virgin conception, the virgin birth of Christ. We only believe it happened once. We're not naive people who think it just happens all the time. This is this strange event that happens and someone is virginly born. No. We believe it happened once in history for a very specific purpose, at a very specific time, something that God had planned. And if God can create the universe with a word... If he can say, let there be light, and everything came into existence, my friends, how difficult is a virgin birth for God? But nonetheless, what a decision Mary faces. All of her life's ambitions were in front of her. The joy of being a bride, the joy of having a family, of having a place in society, of having a good name, of being married to a virtuous man, they're now all under threat, For this angel is asking her to carry a child outside of wedlock because she's not yet married. A child that is not from her husband. She knows that if found out according to the law of Moses that she could be stoned to death. She knows she could lose her reputation or worse. She could also lose Joseph who would surely be scandalized and ridiculed by the surrounding culture because of Mary's condition. What would you do? If you were faced in that situation. And in one of the bravest moments of recorded history. Mary. Young. Betrothed but not yet married. Innocent in life. Boldly announces her choice. Behold. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. She knows the situation, but she's hearing from God through his angel. And she says, I will risk it all because God is worth it all. I love God more than anything else, even more than my life, even more than my plans, even more than my hopes. Because if God is in it, I will trust him to the end. And so we refer to her today as Blessed Mary. And she is blessed because God chose her for a very special purpose. She's blessed because she said, I will take God at his word and risk it all for his glory. And we can learn from the example of Mary this morning, no matter the difficulties that we may be facing, no matter what the Lord is asking you to do, you may think it seems impossible. It might seem difficult. It might be risky. It might even bring shame from the culture. But if God is asking you to do something this morning in your life, in the workplace, with your family, whatever it might be. Learn from the example of Mary this morning and say, let it be done to me according to your word. And then, we, as we've seen in the text that we read previously, she goes to help her cousin. She's called Blessed Mary because God has chosen her for a special task. She's Blessed Mary because she wants God's purpose to be fulfilled above her own. And she's blessed because she was chosen. It's because Mary was chosen that she was special. It's because God took the first step that she is chosen and special. And yet, we can learn from her example of faith. We can learn from her example of obedience. And so we've seen Elizabeth, knowing that the son of another woman will be greater than her own son, rejoices yet that God's purposes will be fulfilled and that she has the opportunity to play a small role in the fulfillment of God's plan. We see Mary, who on a certain level could have risked everything that was in front of her, and says, I love God so much that I'm his servant. I will do whatever he wants me to do. And we have a third example this morning, the life of Anna. God's promise is now here. We pick up our reading this time in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and night. And day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks and to speak to him, speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Just a few verses is all we have about the life of Anna. And yet there's a lot of information in those few verses we can learn about her. You know, we believe as evangelicals that every word of God is inspired and is useful for teaching, for training in Righteousness that the man of God might be complete. And so even in these few short verses, we can learn several things. First, her name is Anna, which means grace, which is appropriate in the context. That the ultimate display of grace shown in Jesus Christ is, is seen by this woman whose name means grace. Secondly, we're told that she is the daughter of Phanuel, which is the New Testament equivalent of Peniel, And if you know your Old Testament stories, Peniel is the place where Jacob wrestled with the angel of God. And Peniel itself means the face of God. What I find it interesting is though she has a beautiful name that means grace, and she's the son of the face of God, Peniel, that Luke doesn't take any time to talk about either of those two things. But I tell you, the first century readers, when they heard this, first century listeners, they would have picked up, God is doing something special through a woman named Grace, whose father is named the face of God. Thirdly, she's a prophetess. There were several women in the Old Testament who carried that title Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, Huldah. So, in some ways, she was a revelation or a vehicle of revelation for God. Luke doesn't tell us anything more than that. We just know that there had been 400 years of silence from God from the close of the Old Testament canon with the book of Malachi until John the Baptist thundered in the, je- in the desert, "Prepare the way of the Lord. But her role as a prophetess would be to declare the truth of God, to declare his word. But he doesn't, Luke doesn't tell us any more about what she did. We just see it in an example, but we'll get to that in a moment. And lastly, she's from the tribe of Asher. Now, this might seem insignificant to us, except that Asher was one of the ten tribes that was carried off by the Syrians, the Assyrians into exile. It was called one of the lost tribes of Israel. And yet, here we have a descendant of Asher, which tells us then that God has always had a remnant of believers among his people. Even those that were carried off into exile, there were some upon whom God had put his favor that would know him and that would carry on his truth. So even when it seems like the situation is the bleakest, God is still at work. It might seem bleak when your tribe is carried off into exile, and yet we have a subtle reminder here that even in those moments, God is at work among his people. And here we have a daughter of Asher who is in the temple, who is beholding the Christ child. There's some verses there that it's a little bit difficult to understand how exactly to translate them. They mean the same thing, that she'd been a widow for a long time. Did it mean she was a widow for 84 years? Or did it mean she was a 84 years old as a widow at the time of this story? Both end up meaning the same thing. She would have been a widow for a long time. But what is clear is that Anna devoted her life to the Lord. We're told that she was a woman and prayer and fasting would spend time day and night in the temple of God. Probably this is hyperbole because as a woman it's unlikely that she did live in the temple. But it's, it's Luke's way of saying that she was a devout woman, a virtuous woman, a righteous woman who sought the face of God as a way of life with prayer and fasting. And I hope the tug that you feel in your heart this morning is that that would be a description of you. That you would be one who is seen as one who seeks the face of God day and night. Even if it means sacrificing time and pleasures that you want as you seek God's face. That you would be a person that day and night just wants to know God more and more. But this woman who was called a prophetess had a role. And that was to declare to others the truth of God. And now she comes into the temple just as Simeon is blessing the the Christ child. On the day when he's in the temple, when they are presenting him to the Lord, on the the eighth day in their circumcision and there's joy, she happens to be there as Simeon is pronouncing the blessing over the child. And her longing that she had been waiting for for years is now fulfilled. She realizes that in this child her longing to see God's face and the salvation of God and the fulfillment of his promises come. And what did she begin to do? It says she began to speak to all around her of this one that she has seen. She proclaimed him to all who would listen. How great when God answers our prayers. How great when God fulfills our longings. How great when we see the people of God who when they encounter God want to proclaim the glories of God and the truths of God so that God is lifted high and exalted as people encounter God and are saved. She found her hope in the Lord from the time of her widowhood and now that hope is being fulfilled and she gladly proclaims to all who would listen this great God. So these three women, Elizabeth and Mary and Anna, serve as wonderful examples for us today. Elizabeth, who rejoices that her shame has been taken away and praises the Lord even though a son of another would be greater than her own. Mary, this young, engaged woman, risked everything that was dear to her and offered herself fully to the plan of God. Anna, who sought her comfort in the Lord, boldly declaring the coming of the Messiah, who alone could fulfill the longing of her heart, And of every human heart. And so we see that the barren gives birth to a prophet. The virgin brings forth the victory of God. The widow declares the wonders of God. As we look at the Christmas story. And how God works through people. So that his will and plan are accomplished. These three women show us an example. And the effect of patient, joyful, hopeful expectation in the Lord each one of them faced a difficult situation yet instead of complaining we find praise instead of pushing for her own will we find each one dependent and patient with God instead of ruining, and regretting their lot in life we see faithful expectation that God will use those who are available to him and that God will honor the faith of those who seek him but there's more Because as great as the story and example of these women are, they point to something even greater and far beyond themselves. They point to someone greater. Elizabeth gives birth to John, who announces the coming of the Messiah, who is the hope and the longing of every heart. Mary gives birth to the Messiah, but she herself would call him my Savior. Anna declares that the Messiah is the fulfillment of God's promise to his people the one to whom they point, the Messiah, came and absorbed the rejection and the shame of Elizabeth and made it his own on the cross. He stood in the gap for Mary, who was falsely accused and suffered shame, for Jesus himself knew what it was to be wrongly accused and to suffer shame. Jesus knew the loneliness of Anna and the need to to pursue continuously the relationship with the Father, for it was Jesus' great will to do the will of the Father moment by moment. Jesus came and lived out and fulfilled the difficulties and experiences of these women. And he does the same for all who will confess him as Savior and Lord. And it is this Jesus that we celebrate who alone is able to meet your deepest needs today. Whatever the challenge is that you are struggling with, financial, economic, social, civic, whatever it is, he alone is able to meet you and to meet your greatest needs, which is to be forgiven before a holy God so you might have eternal life with him forever. This Christmas season, do not keep Jesus at arm's length, but bow before him as Savior and say, yes, Lord. I repent of my sins. Yes, Lord, I confess that I need you. Yes, Lord, there is room in my heart for thee. Charles Riggs was a believer who was rough around the edges at the beginning and was not always easy to get along with, but he, he was introduced to the ministry of the Navigators. And they began to disciple him and teach him the word of God and teach him the disciplines of the faith. And he began growing in his faith and even joined their ministry. And when an upstart evangelist named Billy Graham needed help to plan an evangelism campaign in the city of New York, the Navigators loaned Charlie to the Billy Graham team. And he did such a great job in organizing that incredible campaign that he just never got around to returning back to the Navigators and continued on with the Billy Graham Association all his days. Billy Graham testified that he had confidence in Charlie because Charlie always depended fully on the Holy Spirit and whatever he did, and the Lord blessed him because of it. And when asked later about how he rose to such a high and important position, he said this: "I always ask the Lord to put me in over my head. That way, when I have a job to do, either the Lord has to help me or I'm sunk." And time and time again, Charlie Riggs asked God to put him in over his head. And time and time again, Charlie Riggs trusted the Lord to come through. And time and time again, the Lord came through as he was delighted to answer the prayer of one who had put all of his trust and hope in him, which brings us to our own lives today. How would our lives be described by the Lord today? Elizabeth and Zechariah were described as righteous and blameless. Anna was described as devout and pious. Mary is described as joyfully obedient. What do you think of when you sense that God is asking you to do something that is inconvenient or risky or maybe even a little dangerous? Are you willing to let God lead you in over your head so that he can work through you greatly? display his power in and through you and show you that his purposes are always good. During this Christmas season, let's let God speak to us through his word and let him show us how he would lead us into ever deeper waters so that we would find ourselves completely dependent upon him. But in finding ourselves completely dependent upon him, we have the most joyful, fruitful, holy wonderful life we could ever have, and all of that an eternal life besides. Take your life to him this morning and let him deal with you in a steady way. Let's join in being part of the band of those who have stories of hopeful faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God that takes delight and bowing down low to speak to us so that you might raise us up in forgiveness and reconciliation that we can be with you forever. Father, we thank you that you are a God that condescends so that we might be able to ascend. And forgive us, Father, for those times when we think we can just do it better, we have a better idea, or we just don't want to do it your way, Lord. Open our eyes to see that to do it God's way is the best way there is. And thank you that this Christmas Eve morning, as we gather, we are reminded that you delight to work in and through people just like us. And so this morning, from the depths of our hearts, we surrender to you. Say, yes, Lord, be the Lord of my life, the Lord of everything. Use me in the few years that I have on this earth for your glory. Use me to proclaim a great God. Use me to preach and proclaim a great gospel. And fill me with your joy as we we serve you. May your joy, Father, be our strength this Christmas and always as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.